Hello, welcome to the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. This is a safe space where mamas can talk openly about their highs and lows of motherhood and to look deeper into who they are as women and their journey into motherhood. We may agree and disagree or cry and laugh, but one thing for sure is we will learn from one another and have a great time. So sit back and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. I am on with Lisa Howe of Becoming Peaceful. It's a pleasure having you on, Lisa. Why don't you go ahead and give a brief introduction about who you are, what you do, and we'll talk briefly about your motherhood journey because I'm sure part of that and maybe your previous profession are leading into what becoming peaceful means. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. I am a social worker by trade. I have a master's degree in social work. And I, about almost about five years ago, trained with Dr. Laura Markham of AHA Parenting. She's mm-hmm. a clinical psychologist to become a certified peaceful parenting coach. I was one of only 15 folks chosen worldwide to train with Dr. Markham. And although I have learned a great deal over my career, I think that that very intensive six months was such an incredible opportunity to learn so much about children, child development, and and how to really become a coach to be able to help parents be the best parents that they can be. Sure. And in social work, really, so even, I mean, of course, it's with other professionals, but tell me what was it like being a social worker? Because your daughter, because I saw online, I think your daughter is five years old. Mm, she's eight and a half. Oh, I think I need to update still, my website. So yeah, <laughs> but still young, right? In, in yes. the realm of things. Absolutely. So tell me, how was that being a social worker first and becoming a mom and how that kind of led to everything? Sure. So I can tell you, and I just shared this recently with a client that I was, I started babysitting when I was 10 years old. Like now as a parent, I don't know who, why anyone was letting like a 10 year old take care of their babies, but I was very mature, you know, (laughs) to my credit, but I started babysitting young and then I worked as a nanny for many years and I became a social worker and I was worked primarily with children and families. And so as I was approaching motherhood, I really, you know, now I have to laugh at myself, but I really thought like, oh. I've got this. Like I have so much experience with kids and my goodness, it doesn't hold a candle to the actual experience of parenting your own child for lots of reasons, right? We have like a primal response to our own child and they can trigger us and push their buttons the way that no one else can. And it's a much more personal endeavor parenting your own child. And so it was, it was a rude awakening as I think early parenthood is for everyone and I think that no matter what anyone tells you, you're not, you can't be prepared for that, for what that's like. And I have, you know, distinct memories. I had my daughter at home and I have very distinct memories of everyone leaving and my husband and I being left with this, you know, baby that was a few hours old and thinking like, like, who's the grown up here? Who's in charge? And having this realization that it was us and that we really had no idea what to do. And how humbling that is. I think that that's one of the main aspects of parenting that I continue to find is just how much humility there is to be found in parenting. 
It's true because think about it. You can be the most scholarly person with, you know, PhDs, master degrees on different levels. And that child, that baby cannot communicate with you what they need, what they want. So all of that goes out the window and you have yes. to do anything and go with that. So yes, yes, that's a good point. I also had a home birth and same thing afterwards. When I, I was like, why is everyone leaving? Like, now what? How do we feed? The, what do we do? Right. Yes. I so, still remember that feeling clear as day. Yeah. I, I still am trying to figure out what to do, but um, yeah, I'm like, God, who said that this is the right thing to do to just leave this day old baby and how people have been doing it from the beginning of time. And our parents, our parents before and their parents before who didn't have Google, who didn't have resources to what we have now made me have a much larger appreciation for the generations before me. Yes, I think that's really true. It gives a lot of perspective and it's, and then you realize, oh gosh, they also didn't know what they were doing. And so bless them for trying. Oh, hundred percent. And the anxiety that came with it. I remember, I mean, we have cameras and all of that now where I was like, mom, what did you do? She was like, you slept in the other room. I was like, I, how did you sleep? She was like, I right. didn't. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't imagine not having a camera and hearing my child. So yes, yeah, so much perspective of that. And with the social work aspect of it, I'm sure there has to be some elements though, that I don't want to say patience and tolerance, because that's probably not a, a word for it, but on that aspect, because there is patients that have to come with it and deal with it. What elements though did cross over? What did kind of prepare you? That's a great question. I think that one of the things that really helped was the fact that for all of those years that I worked with families and children, a lot of the kiddos that I worked with were in the foster care system or had other various challenges. And during those years, I built you know, what I call my emotional callous boundaries and a thick skin in regards to not taking things so personally. And that's something that a lot of parents come to me, you know, that my child has said, you know, my child told me that I wasn't a good mom or that I wasn't their mother or that they hated me. And I came into parenthood with this understanding and really clear boundaries that what other people are saying is is almost never about me. And that has made it really easy that when my daughter has gone through those phases, I remember once she told me when she was four, she said, you think you gave birth to me, but you didn't. You're not actually my mother. And that could be normally really triggering, right? And I, it's one of my favorite things that she's ever said. I thought it was very clever. And in the moment I said, oh, you must be so mad at me to tell me I'm not your mom. Right. But in my mind, I was chuckling and thinking like, I have a video to prove it. So check yourself. But, you know, I can, I think that those skills that I developed professionally really carried over in that way to know that, that she's having a hard time, not giving me a hard time Mm. and being able to reframe that and know that everyone's having their own difficulties and especially for children, they're not able to voice it. But let's be honest, most adults aren't either. We don't come home from a hard day at work and say to our our partner, gosh, like my boss called me into the office tomorrow and I'm feeling really anxious. Instead, we come home and say like, why is the house such a mess? Which, but I think, and I'm not a psychologist, but I'm sure if we go back to a lot of that stems from when we're young of not instilling those proper ways of communication, proper ways of understanding what we really are feeling and correct. When you walk in and you're like, oh, the house is a mess. It's not really about the house being a mess. It's the fact of that you did have a bad day and this, and it's all triggering. Trigger is such a big word. That's like my word of 2020 and 2021. 
So I think it does start from when we're young. Yeah, absolutely. It does. And, you know, emotional intelligence wasn't really a thing that our parents talked about. They didn't know about And there wasn't, you know, the research was really just beginning on the importance of being able to talk about your feelings and welcoming them. That's not something that I grew up with. I didn't grow up in a family that was like, tell me about your feelings. Let me hear your tears. Let me hold you while you cry and process this, right? I grew up in a family where our feelings were smashed down. We were told like, don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about. Mm -hmm. And so it's a big jump from that to welcoming your child's feelings and being able to express your own. And it takes a lot of work. Yes. It, well, I think to re, to relearn that, to relive that, mm-hmm. to re of what that's yes. supposed to be. Um, and I think yes. a big one too, because I've, I've talked to mental health therapists on different spectrums on here, maternal mental health, some focus on child mental health and all of that aspect of it. And a big one that I see with that is also appreciating and inviting anger, right? Yes. Anger is such oh, yeah. a thing that we say, no, you're not like kids are not supposed to be angry. But to your point, adults are angry all the time. They, they cut if they cut off each other, you know, between the road rage and the things. So it's, it's everywhere that a child sees this, but when they are exemplifying that, or, you know, acting out in that way or whatever that, that, whatever that phrase is, we have to tell them they're not supposed to. Yes, absolutely. And I think, especially, you know, when it comes to women that we are in our, in our culture and society, women aren't supposed to be angry. If you're angry, then that means that you're all sorts of things. When anger is a very normal human emotion, and particularly for the last year, we all have plenty of reasons to be angry. Mm-hmm. And to understand, you know, sometimes we talk about anger being a secondary emotion, that there's something right underneath that anger. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of us in the last year, there's a lot of grief and loss. If we think about the things that we no longer get to do, whether it's you're a school-aged child and you don't get to go to school or see your friends, or I don't get to see my friends. And so, of course, it can come out as anger and agitation. And to be able to welcome that into like, yeah, I can tell you're really angry and I want to hear all about it. You know, it's hard to do that. It's hard to be a container for our children's feelings when so many of us, our own containers of our feelings are spilling over. Yes. But I think that's the super, the superhuman aspect of being, and, and I, don't, I don't, you know, I always say that the, the fathers kind of get the bad rap in the, in the sense of like, everything is like super mom um, mm-hmm. and shout out to my husband. I mean, he's, he is yes. amazing on many aspects, but the superhuman aspect of a mom, because yeah, we can be dealing with all of that, but nine times out of 10, the child wants us, we're the, the predominant parents. So we have to keep it going and can't really say, I, well, not that we can't because we should, but we've been taught to kind of say, nope, I can't do that. I need to push on, push through, um, right. despite everything that's kind of going on. Like you said, if I'm in grief, if I'm lonely, if I need this or whatever the case may be. Absolutely. It's hard. And we don't, we didn't, we don't learn in our culture, how to set boundaries and how to ask for what we need. You know, there's a lot of thinking, especially around mothers that, you know, we can do it all. And while we can, I don't think that we should, and we should be asking for help. And we should be speaking up about how difficult it is because what happens otherwise is that when we don't set boundaries, we end up getting resentful. And I think we're also, it's so important to remember that we're constantly modeling for our children. Yes. So I want to model for my daughter 
that taking care of myself is important. And I want to model for my daughter that it's okay, that it's a sign of strength to ask for help and not a sign of weakness. hundred percent. I think that's so important. And, and I'm proud to say, because I've had a lot of these conversations because I follow some great motherhood pages that the next generation of children, and I hope to see, you know, your daughter, my son, that they are getting closer to having the tools to do better. I think so. I I see it happening. I see it happening in the families that I've worked with since I became a parenting coach. And I see the sea change happening. People are becoming more and more aware and more and more mindful. And it's, it's pretty spectacular. And I'm really excited to see, because I know that this generation of kids is going to change the world. hundred percent. I actually got the chills just now. So tell me now that you mentioned that. So yes, why don't we go into what is aha parenting and what does all of that entail and what you specifically do to help parents, moms, and families? Absolutely. That's a great question. So AHA Parenting is Dr. Markham's website. And I discovered Dr. Markham actually when my daughter was a newborn. Prior to that, I had not experienced the world of social media mom groups, right? I hadn't been a mom. I didn't even know that the groups existed. And so after attending a new mom support group, someone said, you know, these, there's Facebook groups for parents that can be really helpful, right? When you're up in the middle of the night and you're freaking out and you're you're spending a lot of time nursing or feeding your kiddo, then I started to explore and I started to read articles about parenting. I knew for sure that I didn't want to parent in the way I was parented, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know what other, yeah, I didn't know how to do that. Right. We learn how to parent from our parents for better or for worse. And it wasn't until I started reading articles and thinking like, oh, this resonates with me. Mm. And one of the first thing, the first thing of Dr. Markham's that I saw that really stood out to me was a 10 step plan to stop yelling. Now, my daughter was a few weeks old. I was not yelling at her, but I had grown up in a family where yelling was the predominant form of communication. And so that stood out to me. I thought, okay, well, here's something I don't want to do. So let me read this and learn. And what I love about Dr. Markham is that she follows the research, that she is focused on raising kids with emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. and that she's really focused on how parents can first regulate their own emotions, because it all starts with us. You know, the thing I like to say is that it's never them, it's always us. And that's good news because we're the only people we can change. And it's bad news because we're going to have to change. Yeah, we're going to have to do the work. I think that parenting is a giant self-improvement project in disguise. I don't think anyone tells you that. And if they did, you wouldn't believe them. It's one of those things you have to experience. And so I started reading Dr. Markham's books and following her page and reading her blog posts and enrolled in her 12-week online course. And a few weeks into that, she sent out a message that she was looking for clinicians to apply to become a a parenting coach under her certification. And I jumped at that because I have always been, you know, I'm a helper by nature and I've always been the person who my friends would come to for help and support around all sorts of things, right? I was the kid, even in elementary school, people would say, oh, you know, you're ask Lisa, she could tell you how, you know, she can help you. And just naturally that way and find a lot of joy in that. And so 
I thought, well, this would be a great addition. And at the time, I didn't think that I would be starting a business. I just thought like, oh gosh, like this is a, this will help me in my own personal parenting and help, you know, my friends. And it wasn't until I was in the training that I started thinking about like, well, oh gosh, like maybe this could be something that I do. This, I can start a business where I'm working with parents and coaching them and, and it grew from there and the name becoming peaceful came to me in a moment. I have no idea where it came from. I was just sitting around thinking, what am I going to call this business? And, you know, I do, I practice meditation on a daily basis. And there was one day where I was meditating and I was just sitting quietly and all of a sudden, like it popped into my brain becoming peaceful. And I thought, well, that would be a great name for a peaceful parenting coach. And from there, it just, it grew. And I started teaching here in San Diego, where I live, I started teaching workshops. And now, you know, last year I pivoted and doing everything on Zoom, but teaching workshops. And then the bulk of my work is working privately one-on-one with parents to help them become the best parent that they can be. Sure. And what are some of, without going too far into it, I know one of the things um, that you list on your Instagram page and then I saw on your website, which I will add to the show notes so people can follow you and become familiar. But I know you mentioned like five quiet mornings, benefits, which I'm assuming has something to do with meditation and kind of all of that because I am learning. And just a quick side note that I was like, God, meditation, a lot of when you start talking to a lot of people and doing your own research, you see common denominators. And a big one is if moms are not getting their, their minds right and what it can set for. So what are some other things that you do to help? Like, what are like some top three things? Number one, that parents come to you with. And number two, in a summary form that you can say that you kind of say, look, we work on A, B, and C. Right. Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of parents, particularly in the last year, the thing that most parents are coming to me about are their own self-regulation, being able to regulate their emotions. Another thing, a lot of parents right now are struggling of whether or not I'm hearing a lot of, am I ruining my kids? Are my kids being ruined by the pandemic? And is my response to the pandemic ruining them? And then I'm hearing a lot of folks struggle with anger, both their children's anger and their own. So my overall focus stems from Dr. Markham's work. And that's that first we work on parental self-regulation or caregiver self-regulation, because we have to model what we want from our kids. A parent will sometimes say to me, like, my daughter won't stop yelling at me. And I'll say, well, do you, do you yell at your daughter? Oh, right. And then you can kind of connect those dots. So they will not always do what we say, but they will always do what we do. And so if we have a hard time regulating our emotions, then so will they. The second piece is focusing on connection, you know, at the heart of parenting, this is a relationship, your relationship. It's a relationship between you and your child. And while you are the leader and should remain the benevolent leader, we also need to have a connection because what we know is that connection creates cooperation. So I work a lot with parents on how to be intentional with our connection. What what a lot of people are saying right now is I'm with them all the time. And I say, well, haven't you ever been on a bad date? 
you can like a bad date is a great example of being with someone sharing a physical space, but not connecting at all. It's like, oh, yeah, we don't have any. We're just sitting here like having a very awkward, quiet meal. And it's the same thing. We're we are we're all stuck together and we're stuck together at home, depending on where you live. Like there may not be a lot of opportunities. Your kids might be in Zoom school. And so we're together, but we're not necessarily connected. So talking and teaching about ways to be really intentional about the way that we connect with our children. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we have to, it has, we have to initiate and be mindful of that. If we wait for our kids to come to us, then we've missed, we've missed the mark, right? We've missed that space. And so being intentional and purposeful. And then lastly, I talk about coaching versus controlling. Many of us grew up in families with really authoritarian parents, where it was a lot of do as I say, kids don't talk, don't offer your ideas or suggestions. It's not, this is not a democracy and really having that very controlling view. And really what we want to do is we want to work with our children. We want to remain the leader. We want to have high expectations, but provide high support to meet those expectations. So really the idea of focusing a lot on on coaching around emotions and helping children learn about their feelings and how to express them and welcoming them. So those are like the three kind of main areas that I focus on. And I'm sure there's like a hundred million more because everyone's situation is different. But I think that's absolutely, I think what you touched on is, is key. And I think, yeah, obviously with the pandemic and COVID, it's brought in a whole set of new things. We are very, very fortunate. My little guy's in preschool. So the preschool has opened up. I feel like daycares have opened up maybe a little bit more because they know they can't sit on a Zoom or on a computer. So it's a little different. So I'm very, very fortunate on that because I am not, you know, I've, I've learned to embrace my strengths and my weaknesses. And I am not the Pinterest mom. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. the mom who's I'm just not that either. I, I would have been like, Oh, my God, what am I going to do with this kid? Because I'm not but I will say I've learned to pivot. So when we did have the time together, because obviously work was closed and school was closed. I just let the pressure go. I was like, I know I, I do know he can learn from just whatever we're doing. So we went outside and I kind of did my own thing. But to, to that to that point and what you were saying is, yeah, I'm sure it's a lot. I'm sure parents are really, really going through, especially the working parents and, and even parents at home, whatever the case may be, if, if they don't have the support that's needed. Everyone's in a kind of excuse my lack of a clusterfuck of like, what are we going to do? It's you true. Know? It's true. We don't have anyone that we can, are any elders so we can say, so how did you handle your global pandemic? What did you do when you were trying to work full time and run a business from home while your child was in third grade on Zoom? So, so I'm going to ask you before we jumped into the five yeah. quiet mornings, which I'm sure yeah. maybe you implementing some of these things from, from, from before helped. So we'll tie it together. What did you do? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So I'll tell you what I did first is I felt all my feelings. And I think that's the thing that sometimes that we as parents and sometimes especially as mothers can do is we set aside our own feelings because we need to focus on our kids. And the truth is, is that feelings are like tunnels and we have to go through them. And I cannot help anyone else with their feelings if I'm not dealing with my own first. And this COVID and pandemic has created a lot of loss. And so I've felt those feelings and I have 
done a lot of crying and been very open about the fact that I am in the trenches too. That I'm so here to help. Are you open with your daughter? Do do you have a, and say, "Mommy's feeling this way. Mommy needs this." Absolutely. I being able to model that we can experience feelings and move through them is really important. You know, growing up in the family that I grew up in, where feelings just weren't allowed, I grew up feeling afraid. You know, by the time I was an adult, I was afraid of my feelings. I thought, well, if I start crying, I might never stop. Or if I'm and, sad, this isn't normal. I'm not supposed to be sad. I'm right. supposed to be happy. Happy is happiness is what we attend to when it's like now as an adult, I realize it's okay. We're going to all, there's one day from yesterday I could wake up. I got this. And then today I could wake up and be like, I, I'm not, I'm going nowhere with my life. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and to know that that's okay. And that's normal. And we don't talk about it enough. No. And so that is the place where I had to start. I had to get really honest about how I was struggling and how I was feeling and letting my daughter know, like, this is hard for everyone. And it's hard for me in different ways than it is for you. Mm -hmm. And everyone has their own struggle, but we're in this together. Right. And then I had the thing that I had to do really was I had to double my meditation. For me, I've been meditating for nearly 20 years, long before I was a parent. And it is an important tool for me. And it became abundantly clear that I had to not only prioritize doing it at the start of my day, but that I had to increase that amount of time. Mm. And that meant that I had to get myself to bed earlier. And for me, the two keys to my ability to regulate my emotions and to be able to show up for others are sleep and meditation. And so I had to get really honest with myself and to let myself know that like I do a lot of self-talk and people will say like, oh, it feels so hokey. It does, but it still works. The research tells us it still works. And to say, okay, Lisa, like if you want to be able to help your daughter and your husband and your clients tomorrow, you need to get yourself to bed. Yeah. And then you need to get up when your alarm goes off before everyone else and get up and do your meditation. Yeah. Because you know, that's what fills your cup. That's what gives you energy to do what you need to do. So if if what it's recognizing for every woman out there who's hearing this is recognizing what, what you need. And like I said, the common denominator that I'm hearing is meditation. And I do, I want to just pivot for one second because you have been probably doing it the longest that I've spoken to anybody. What is like, the best advice that you can give for someone who wants to start meditating? Yeah, that's a great question. And I love it because here's the thing is we have a lot of ideas of what meditation should look like, right? And that it does not require that we sit in lotus position on top of a mountain and chant a mantra. Like (laughs) if you want to do that, if you live by a mountain and you can do like, go for it. But really meditation is just being in the moment. And meditation is focusing on your breath. So it can be as simple as sitting, laying in your bed. You don't have to sit up, right? You wake up, you stay in bed and you just focus on breathing and you can start with two minutes. And the other piece is that people will say, oh, well, my mind is too busy. And they have this expectation that your mind will stop being too busy. And that does not, that, that doesn't happen. The mind makes noise and the mind will always make noise. And the goal is not for the mind to be quiet. The goal is to be aware. And so if I am sitting here focusing on my breathing and I think like, oh gosh, well, what about this? I think, oh, there's a thought back to the breath. Okay. 
So as opposed to running away from it, you're embracing it. Right. I'm like, oh, there's my brain. There's a thought back to the breath. Okay. And I, I love kind and firm, right? I think that peaceful parenting boils down to being kind and firm. And I'm kind and firm with my brain when I'm meditating. I love that. I'm like, oh, you're thinking of that. Back to the breath. Come on, sweetie. And gentle with myself. Yes. And I think that those two pieces that really it's about sitting quietly and focus or laying quietly or standing quietly, whatever position works for you and focusing on your breath with the idea that you don't have to clear your mind. Love it. Thank you for sharing that because that's something I've really wanted to implement. And there are sometimes I'll just lie in bed when my alarm goes off and I'll just lie there. I'll think of positive affirmations. I'll think about my, I'll just think, and I'm like, is this my, I think I, I think I'm like, I think I kind of am. I'm kind of studying, but then I start getting the ADD as I call it. And I'm like, oh, I got to get it. Cause that's not meditating. I need to sit down. So I'm glad that you've, you've yep. allowed me to embrace that because I do. Sometimes I just lay in bed and I just kind of let it go and do some breath work. And I'm like, okay, let's get this going. That's it. But I'm doing it so much more and, you know, maybe put on an app and go deeper with it. Right. And that's what keeps a lot of people from meditating because they're afraid that they won't be able to do the the right way. Yes. And that's a beautiful thing that there's no right way. I do think that for a lot of folks who are new, guided meditations can be very helpful because it gives your brain something to focus on, but there is just no wrong way to do it. And what the research tells us is the single best way that you can improve not only, I mean, your physical and mental well-being, but just your self-regulation. Because the goal in self-regulation is to respond rather than react. Mm. And the difference between a reaction and a response is a pause, is a pause in between. And creating that space, creating that pause, we do that in meditation. Yeah, I love it. And it's funny because one of the things I say for work, not really home, but my work life is I will think before I speak and react. Yes. I'm a manager. I I have a high level um, position in like my day job. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that's something I need to put to parenting though, or my husband or with even closer relationships. Yes. So I'm like, I I will think before I speak and think before I react because I'm like, so I can carry that over into that is, <laughs> yeah, you know, what I say with parents all the time, these are life skills. These are, you know, these are relationship skills, which apply to every relationship. And then you're modeling for your child, these things Absolutely. and meditation and the struggle of meditation and mindfulness tools is what led me to develop five quiet mornings. I was going to say, let's jump right back into, yeah. Yeah, which is an offering that I started just during the pandemic. It actually came from a suggestion from a client. A client said, you know what? You tell us all to meditate and to journal and to do these things and to breathe. What if you like just did it with us in the mornings? And I thought, huh, okay. And like all things that I have done during the pandemic, including the thing that I just started this morning was a, ch- a kid support group. I thought, okay, I have no idea how this is going to go, <laughs> but necessity is the mother of invention. And right now we all need more help. So I decided that I was going to put together five quiet mornings. And the way that it works is it's a 30 minute workshop Monday through Friday. I've offered it now for 11 different weeks. And we start off by doing a breathing exercise together. And then 
I do a short parenting talk on different topics can range from sibling rivalry or emotional regulation, talking about feelings, burnout, self-care. I mean, we've covered so many things in the 55 days that I've that I've done hosted this group. And then I take folks through a guided meditation and then we end with a few minutes of journaling. So yeah, it's been wonderful. And the thing that I always say is it's, it's as helpful to me as I hope it is to others, because those are the mindfulness tools that I use on a daily basis, but there's something really magical that comes with doing them together. Absolutely. So it's basically like, oh, not a Zoom call, but, or maybe like a Zoom of like different parents yes. on and we go, okay. Absolutely. We do. We gather together on Zoom and it's recorded. And so some parents, I have parents who live in different parts of the world who listen to the recordings later, because what might be my quiet morning might be the middle of your bustling day. I was going to say, what time does it start? What yeah, day? So we start at 730 Pacific time. And so for some people, that time is great. Um, some people want me to start even earlier, but 730 is, you know, I think the sweet spot. And then the recording is available to folks who want to listen. And I have, I had a mom just this week send say, I just listened to the recording from two months ago because I wrote down the topics. This is a very organized mom, not who's not me, um, wrote down the topics. And she, she, I knew I needed to hear about that. So I went back to listen again. And so that is a wonderful piece of what's available right now being using zoom and technology is that we can record these things and go back to them. Sure. No, that's awesome. I love that. So are you still do them? And it's still I am doing them. I have another one coming up the first week of March. Okay, that's in a few weeks. I have to check that out. So I will be looking into that. So I know you talked about things that you offer your group one on one sessions, you talked about what mothers have needed the most help with. Now that we are in 2021, what's something that you are most looking? I mean, you're also in California. So I know with COVID and stuff that there's still things but what are you most looking forward to? And what will you bring with you into 2021? And what you what will you be behind in 2020? That's a great question. I think something that's been really important for me as we shifted into 2021 is for me not to have any illusions that things were going to be totally different as the calendar changed to January 1st, 2021. Here in California, where we live, things are the same. And my daughter still wasn't going back to school. I wasn't going to be going back to regular life. And so having that awareness, because I think some folks got caught up thinking like, oh, it's a new year. Everything's going to be, we're going to be different. It's a new year and it's a good opportunity for change and a new mantra and a new focus and a fresh start knowing that we're still in the same place. So that was an important reframe for me. Something that I learned in 2021 is that I am a lot more tech savvy than I gave myself credit for. Prior to the pandemic, I did everything in person. I have an office, I taught classes live, I met with people, and I didn't really know if any of those things would translate to an online forum. I didn't know if the classes I taught would work on Zoom and was also didn't know that I had those skills. And it turns out I did. It turns out that people afforded me a great deal of grace and continue to do so when there are technology challenges because we're all going through it right now. And so what I took from that is to continue to remind myself to be kind to myself. You know, it's something I share with parents every day in coaching sessions, like you are doing a beautiful job. 
the parents who are struggling and who need the most help aren't coming to me. The fact that you are being mindful and thoughtful and cautious about your parenting tells me that you're already an exceptional parent. And it's turning that on myself and reminding myself, okay, there's a learning curve on how to teach a class on Zoom and you're figuring it out and giving myself that grace. And so I'm taking that into 2021, that giving myself that grace and recognizing my own resilience and my ability to pivot. We're all, the world is pivoting right now. And, and some days like it works great. There's no problems. And other days we got technology flubs and that's okay. Yeah. I love it. Have you, have you seen, because you are mindful of these things and you're mindful of giving yourself grace, do you see your daughter modeling some of that behavior? I mean, obviously she's still, she's still an eight-year-old who's still trying to figure it out. Right. But do you see that it obviously does work? Can you see her maybe thinking, gosh, cause yeah, eight years old, that's a, whew, that's going into middle school in a few years. That's going, what changes have you seen with your daughter? And then we'll go into what you want to leave behind in 2020. So what I've seen is that as she sees me speak to myself with kindness and also speak to her with kindness, that she's is able to afford herself the grace. You know, she will say if she can't get onto a Zoom for a class, she'll say, oops, I didn't make it like, OK, I'll just try next time. And seeing that, which those are skills that I didn't learn until I was in my 20s, right, to give myself that grace and understanding that it's OK. And seeing her, you know, respond to, you know, something as simple as like knocking over a box of Cheerios, like, all right, I got to get the broom and seeing her being able to increase her own self-regulation as we've been together for the last year here at home, learning and growing as a family. That's awesome. So what do you want to leave behind in 2020? I think what I want to leave behind in 2020 is the limited belief that we have to be together to have connection because I have really learned and been reminded that there are so many ways that we can connect with one another. People like to, you know, oh, Zoom, but I'm so grateful for Zoom. I also have been reminded and that I want to continue remembering is that I love talking on the phone. It's really hard, like as a young, you know, with young children to talk on the phone. Yeah, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. And that's a great way to connect. And so that it's not just in person that we can maintain and strengthen connections and relationships with the new kind of technology that we have, as well as the old fashioned ideas of talking on the phone. Well, I mean, even think about it. I mean, I mean, unless I'm wrong, and not that you were limited because you had in-person workshops, but think of how many more women that you are and families that you're touching that you might not have ever connected with or, or reached out to before. I mean, even look at us, I found you on Instagram and being online. And now this podcast could be afforded. I mean, it's in all many different countries. So that to me is such a big silver lining with it. All. It is absolutely, you know, on Tuesday nights, I offer a free virtual support group. And for years, I offered the support group in person. And once we went, once the pandemic started, I started doing it online. And I have moms from all over the country who come, who wouldn't normally otherwise obviously be able to come. And we have built this virtual community that has grown and is such a supportive place for moms. Occasionally, we'll get a dad to come. But primarily for moms to have that support. And that wouldn't happen otherwise. You know, I've taught workshops where people from all over the world have attended. 
awesome. And otherwise it would just be women and, and moms and dads in San Diego. Yes, and so that hat. San Diego, correct. That's not even yes. a whole, yes, yes. Yes. So it is really, that has been the silver lining is that I've been able to reach so many more families and provide support to so many more people. So let me ask before we get into my favorite part, which is my get to know, do you think when things kind of normalize on some level, things start open up and you can, will you open up and do in-person workshops again? Will you offer both and do the online? Like how, I guess, yeah, what, what do you envision becoming peaceful looks like in the next three to five years, right? Because the next year is still, what do you envision that looking like? That's a great question. I think that what I have, one of the things I've learned from this last year is that, that there's space for both that there are families who need support all over and that I will continue to offer online workshops as well as eventually someday in-person workshops. And that I plan to continue the, the Tuesday night support group indefinitely, regardless, because I think that the community that has been built there from people all across the country has created such connection and relationships that I can't see giving that up. Yeah, that's awesome. And actually, I, I want to put that on my page. I didn't realize that you had that. So you see connections because I know for new moms that might need it. There you go. So that's that's awesome that you give your time in that aspect and offer the support group because I found and I, I to all the moms that I've spoken to, to my veteran moms, to new moms, not one mother has it figured out no matter what. And I think because every child is different, every stage of parenthood is different. So we're still just trying to figure it out. So no matter what what journey you are of your motherhood journey, it's still appreciated and still like, yes. help me do this because what I'm correct. I mean, I'm dealing with the child. I'm dealing with a three-nager. He is three going on 13. I mean, we have conversations. He speaks like a grown little man and yeah. So that's our stage. <laughs> yeah. Eight-year-old. So she's more, so there's so many different levels. And I think that's such a valuable resources for parents to have. So that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, so why don't we get into our get to know? And actually, usually I say final thoughts to the podcast world at the end. But since we have covered a lot, is there anything else you wanted to touch base on anything else you wanted to speak on before we kind of get into my fun little questions? I don't think so. I think we've covered it. Yeah, thank you. Okay, what is your favorite book or one you want to recommend? So my fave, this is a great question. So I'm a huge reader. I read 76 books last year in 2020. So I love to read. And I would say if I had to recommend one book that I would recommend a book called A Man Called Uwe, and that's O-V-E by Frederick Bachman. And Frederick Bachman is a Swedish writer and his books are translated into English. And that book is, it's about grief, loss, friendship, love, and community. And so it's, it's nonfiction or fiction? Fiction. It's a, um, it's a novel. Nice. And I think one of the things about that book is it just touches people in such a way that every time someone has read it, they've come back to me and said, oh, I just feel better about humanity. And I feel like we could all use that right now. Yes, we definitely can. What has motherhood taught you? I know we touch base on a lot of different things, but if you can pinpoint it, you know, what's the main thing that you see and that resonated with you with motherhood? I think the first thing that comes to mind when I think about what motherhood has taught me is that, that I'm doing just fine. I think that we can be so hard on ourselves Mm -hmm. and watching my daughter 
do and say things that I do, one, it's really, it's mostly really delightful. It's sometimes a little cringy, right? (laughs) But it reminds me like she's a mirror of me. Yes. And if she is a mirror of me, like I'm just a wonderful person. That's awesome. Yes. I think Jewish, one thing you said earlier, and I I was going to say they are mirrors of us. Like they truly are of both the mother and father, which can be cringy yes. too, because they pick right. up you know, the different sides, but it really is a mirror. I think they teach us so much. And and you also said humility before, and, and it's just mm-hmm. a very humbling, humbling experience to be yeah. a mother, to be a parent. They really knock you down on, um, they do. <laughs> you know, like I said, yeah. you're not PhD, you could be this high level, but it's like, nope, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a very humbling, humbling experience. What is any advice or wisdom that you hope your daughter will always follow? Mm-hmm. What's one thing you hope that she always kind of remembers throughout her trajectory in life? I hope that she always remembers to be true to herself. I think that that can so easily get lost as, especially as women, as we grow up and we want to please others. And that that often means that we sacrifice what we really want, think, or believe and being true to herself. You know, when she, she has always been a creative dresser. And since she was about 18 months, she wanted to start picking out her own clothes. And sometimes she puts together some things that i I would not put together. (laughs) And I hope that she continues. That's just one way that she expresses herself. And I hope she continues to be true to herself and, and own her creativity, because I think it's one of the things that's the most beautiful about her. That's awesome. And lastly, it wasn't on my list here, but I do want to say, what do you do for fun? What do you do? I know meditation and stuff. And that is, if that's what, you know, make it, if it delights you, but what do you do? What, you know, actually, no, let me ask a man. We'll end it with this because you're married, you have your marriage, your husband's there. Right. How are you staying connected with your spouse? Like what are mm-hmm. things that you can kind of maybe offer? And we'll kind of end off with that of two okay. couples who they're home all the time, or maybe, you know, with everything that is going on, yeah. what, what what do you and your husband do? How do you make time for that? That's a great question. So my husband and I have been together for 12 years and he's an exceptional human being. And we have both been very careful to be very intentional with our connection. We have a two-person book club. So we read books together, typically about marriage and about relationships. Right now we're reading Marriage Rules by Harriet Lerner. And it's a great book that's got little snippets, most at most a page and a half of different tools for relationships. And despite how long we've been together and we've done couples work off and on throughout our marriage, because being married is hard work. Being with one person is is hard work. And so we are really intentional about reading things and sharing them. Something else that, you know, I vowed to him in our wedding vows that I really hold fast to is to make him laugh out loud every day. And we have a lot of laughter in our home. And I think that that has been one of the saving graces, not just for our relationship, but for our family getting through this past year. Yeah, I I like that. My husband and I, we've been together 10 years total, married four. So I I get that and being together. And I don't know, I mean, we can probably go on a whole different tangent of how when you have a child, what that does to your relationship, because I thought, I mean, my husband and I traveled and I thought we were completely here on so many levels. And then my son came and it was like skirt. You know, and not that we didn't hold the same values, but I'm sure as you can attest to, it's, it's, yeah. 
<laughs> it's your way. You think you're this and so many different elements with that. But I do think laughter is the remedy. And I mean, I'm the silly one between the two. And I'm always either it's my clumsiness or whatever it is, I'm making him laugh. And I can also say laughter has kind of saved us in some situations as well. So that's a really good point. I think sometimes we have to and as much as I can be funny, I can also be uptight on the flip side and very especially mm. since having my son very rigid and we have to do this and high strung with that in my anxiety level that I'm still working on. So I try and remind myself and kind of bring down that, you know, let's kind of make fun of ourselves and let's kind of bring it down. Like it doesn't have to be all the seriousness of what it is. Like there's so many things to be thankful for and that we could, and I should just let it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It is true. Letting it go is, is a key life lesson. And I think we're all learning it right oh, now, true. especially. Oh, yes. Well, Lisa, if there's anything, nothing else that you want to put out there, like I said, I will add your website, I will add your Instagram handle into my show notes, I cannot wait to connect with the five mornings and and do all of that. I'm actually really excited for that. And to let my followers know about your free group session on Tuesday. So that's also exciting. But it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much for sharing, you know, your motherhood journey and your truth with the podcast. Thank you so much. It was great to meet you. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. Please share this episode, download it, rate, review, and subscribe to my show if you haven't already done so. And tune in next time to hear another fierce mama share her motherhood journey. Continue blessings to you all for love and light.